Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends. Appreciate you joining us today. Mark chapter 15 is our location uh, for the day, and we are toward the end of the chapter, I guess. Mark chapter 15 and verse number 38. We read some heavy, heavy verses last episode about uh, the death of Christ, the fact that God became man and the God-man died. We call the gospel the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the fact that Jesus died was necessary. Why? Because once for all, that's the theme of the book of Hebrews, not like the lamb that had to die year by year by year as simply a covering for sin. Jesus died once for all, uh, that sin might be defeated ultimately, uh, bruising the head of that serpent, just as God had predicted back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, bruising uh, the serpent's head with one fell, with one fell swoop, uh, the sins of the world uh, were paid for upon the cross, and his death became sufficient for the salvation of all men and efficient for those that believe on him. That's why it's important we get the gospel message out. That's why it's important we tell people that sin uh, does not, you don't have to pay for your own sin. Now, you will if you don't receive the payment of Christ, but Jesus once for all died upon the cross for every single person that we might have life and hope in his name. And we talked about that for the last couple of days. We are in verse number 38. This is immediately upon the death of Christ, some incredibly important things happened. And we won't talk about all of them because they're not all mentioned in Mark chapter 15, but a couple of them are. And I want you to see one of them in verse number 38. So Mark chapter 15 and verse 38, where the Bible says, and the veil of the temple was rent, rent means ripped, in twain, in two, from the top to the bottom. Now, what a statement. First of all, what does that mean? The veil, the curtain of the temple was, was rent, was ripped in two from top to bottom. Well, understand that in the, the temple construction, in, in the what was important about the temple wasn't the, 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 the brick and mortar, it wasn't the building itself per se, but the compartments uh, that existed way back when it was just a tabernacle, just a tent in the wilderness. And remember, the, the most important part about the temple was what we call the Holy of Holies. Inside of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, the gold overlay. On top of that Ark of the Covenant was what was called the mercy seat, the, the gold top of the Ark of the Covenant, and the golden cherubim that guarded the very presence of God. And the blood of the lamb was sprinkled, that spotless lamb that was offered on the Day of Atonement, that, that blood would be sprinkled on that mercy seat so that God would overlook or that sin would be covered for another year. 
Well, when Jesus shed his own blood, or not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So when Jesus shed his precious blood, when the blood of Christ spoke for us at Calvary, when the Holy of Holies, when God met man because of the mediatorship of Jesus and his blood, then that means the veil was rent in two. What was the purpose of the veil? The veil was to keep everybody from looking in, from entering into the place where God was, into the place of the presence of God. Only the high priest representing Messiah, taking the blood of the lamb, could go into that space, and he only one time a year. But when Jesus, our high priest, offered the blood of the lamb, his own blood, as the lamb of God, then what did he do? He made at one, and that's what a good way to think about the word atonement, at one meant. Uh, atonement, he made at one. He reconciled. He became the immediate. He brought God and man together in the person of himself. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So when Jesus entered that holy place, when Jesus shed his blood, when Jesus accomplished what that high priest would do only as a symbol, then there's no more need for a veil. There's no, no, no more need for separation. Why? The wall of separation has been taken down. That, that, that curtain of separation is no longer necessary. Because now man and God can be reconciled in and through the person of Jesus. And physically, at the moment of Jesus' death, the veil of the temple, the Bible says, rent in two from the top. Don't you find that interesting? If you were to rip a, a, a curtain that was a, a tall curtain, you'd rip it from the bottom up, but it was from the top down. Why? Because that's how Jesus ripped that curtain symbolically, from the top down. He came down to us when we could not go up to him. There was nothing we could do to remove that separation. It was something he had to do to remove that separation, and indeed, he did it. So what a great statement in verse number 38. Now, verse number 39, another strange thing happened that moment that Jesus died. Because the Bible says, and when the centurion, so there was a Roman guard that was there, remember, that had ushered him to the cross, and no doubt they were in shifts there at the cross as Jesus and these two thieves were dying, and the two thieves are still alive at this point, uh, that that uh, when that centurion was there and he saw this happen, and the, the earthquake and the, the eclipse and the phenomenon that's taking place, the Bible says, and when the centurion, which stood over against him, right by the cross, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, he had seen much that day. He had experienced much. He had heard the conversations. He had seen the forgiveness. He had watched the composure of Jesus. There had been many data points that day that had entered his mind about Ooh, who is this really? But when it was all said and done, the very first convert after the death of Jesus Christ was this centurion. 
Now, the thief got saved in those final moments, but right when Jesus died, the very first convert was this centurion that said, this has to be, I testify that this is the Son of God. Why? It was irrefutable. His testimony was so strong that even the most hardened Roman guard that stood there that day had to testify, this truly is the Son of God. Look at verse number 40. There were also women looking on afar off. So this is the third thing we're learning right after Jesus died. When the the, the veil of the temple was torn, we saw that number one. Number two, this centurion was so moved that he testified that this is truly, this is the Son of God. And now, number three, the Bible references some women that are standing afar off. So they're, they're not there by the cross. And no doubt it was just difficult for them to see somebody who they loved so dearly, somebody with whom they had fellowshiped and spent time, someone they had honored and followed uh, these years to watch him go through what he went through as he hung naked and bleeding and dying on that cross. But they remain true. And the Bible says from afar off, they witnessed this scene. And watch what happens in verse number 40. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was, so there were more than just these women, but we're going to name three of them, Mary Magdalene. So who is she? She is the one that was possessed of seven devils, uh, whom Jesus saved, whom Jesus uh, expelled those demons, and her life had been transformed, and she followed Jesus from then on, Mary Magdalene. Then the Bible says, and Mary, the mother of, of James, the less, and of Joseph. So, Two of Jesus' disciples, we don't talk about much, James the Less and Joseph. These were brothers, and they followed the Lord. Uh, They were part of the disciple band, and their mother's name was Mary. So there were several Marys in the Bible. Obviously, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph and uh, Joseph and and James the Less, uh, to to be distinguished from James and John, uh, the sons of thunder. Uh, And then, of course, Mary... Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, but but here it's Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the lesson of Joseph, and Salome. So who is Salome? Sa- Salome is the mother of James and John, uh, the sons of thunder. So, wow. So the Bible references that these three women are still there. Now, remember, John had been there. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had been there, but presumably she's not there anymore she didn't stay for the entire time. Maybe John even took her home at before it was all over to his own house because uh, he had a relative there in, in Jerusalem. Uh, but be that as it may, the Bible lists these three women who were following Jesus among many women who were following Jesus. And what's very interesting to me is that the disciples that were faithful to the end were these women. And the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about them. We hear, we hear about the apostles of the Lord, uh, the, the 12 apostles. We think about uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Nathaniel. And we talk about Matthew and all of it. But what's interesting is all of them 
forsook the Lord and fled. Matthew 26, verse 56. And yet, these women were faithful to the very end. And I have found, even in my pastoral experience, that among the most faithful people to the Lord are the unsung heroes of faithful women in churches. And these women are a great example of that. Do you know that Jesus' ministry had been financed in part, largely, by some women that followed him? And now these women, whose lives had been touched and changed, were there. Interesting, their sons weren't there. Well, I guess John had been there. But think about Salome. Her sons weren't there right then. And Mary, uh, the mother of James the Less and Joseph, they weren't there. They had run away. And yet the mothers were there. I think about Zebedee. Uh, Who is Zebedee? Zebedee was that man that owned a fishing business in Capernaum. His sons, James and John, had followed the Lord. But also, we forget this, his wife, Salome, had followed the Lord and had helped to finance the ministry of Jesus. And so, boy, these unsung heroes in the Bible that are just a pattern of faithfulness. Look at verse number 41, who also, talking about Salome, these other women, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. So they didn't just follow Jesus, but they ministered to him. They served him. Uh, Somebody had to make the meals. Somebody had to help with the chores. Somebody had to offer their financial gifts. Somebody had to make things happen. And the Bible says these women were among they who not only follow the Lord, but use their gifts, their time, their talent, their treasure to serve the Lord. So they followed him, they ministered unto him, and many other women. Do you see that? Verse number 41, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. So who are these many other women? Uh, among whom are these three? We, we'll probably never know until we get to heaven one day. But they were faithful. And they were among that crowd that day. Now, what had they experienced? They had experienced the incredible, t- witnessing the incredible torture and death of the one that that helped them and saved them and loved them, the one whom they had served those years. What did they hear? They heard the mocking and the jeering. They heard the insulting of Jesus. They were there as those passers-by wagged their heads and made their taunts and their jaunts at Jesus. And yet they remained faithful. In spite of the intimidation, they remained faithful. What a great example uh, for us of the many unsung heroes, unnamed faithful ones in our churches, in our ministries that have just stayed true to the name of Jesus. I think one day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ with a great innumerable host, and we're going to realize that many people that were famous down here are not going to be famous up there. And many people that were unsung down here will be lauded and praised and known up there, among whom will be these faithful women. So I hope that encourages you today as you serve the Lord sometimes in faraway places, sometimes in anonymous situations, know that God knows all about it. And these women will, for, will forever be a part of this gospel account. So I hope that helps today. We're going to jump into 
verse number 42 and finish the chapter, Lord willing, uh, next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.